everyone. Welcome to another episode of Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Avila. Today's guest went from starring on in Annie on Broadway to being a yoga instructor to now being kind of a life career coach. And this conversation was just a lot of fun because we talked about everything from kind of the entertainment industry to finding balance in your life, time management. Who doesn't need better time management skills? We talked about kind of reaching states of creativity and flow. Um, And our guest, Stacey Brass Russell, even offers kind of some free coaching resources up on her website at stacybrassrussell.com slash career journey for all listeners here. That'll be expanded on the at the end of the interview. And there's also links on all of our social media pages if you want to take advantage of those. I suggest so. I've looked at them. They're amazing. Um, so yeah, without further ado, enjoy Stacy Brass Russell. everyone, welcome to the Career Journey Podcast, where we explore exciting careers and how to get them from the people who flipped it. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Avila. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I come from a background of a very entrepreneurial and creative. So, um, you know, I wrote right. in my, uh, in our you know, the, the, the form I filled out for you, you know, that I'm someone who has really made, made it in like unusual, (laughs) right? Like not the traditional path, like not the nine to five, but more, you know, creating a career out of being a yoga teacher and then owning a business. And, you know, and what I help a lot of my clients do is create content. You know, I'm a real, I, I help other people take their expertise and really turn it into a way that they can offer it, you know, as courses and uh, programs. And, you know, so really help people sort of figure out how they can market their skills and what they do. So, yeah. And I think that's imperative nowadays, because I feel like there is no traditional path anymore. I mean, we say go to college, get a job, but it still doesn't quite work that way. Yeah. Um, And so I feel like everything's a little non-traditional. And I always tell my students, the greatest thing about going out into a career now in 2020 and beyond is you can really create a job if it doesn't exist. So if you want to do something and it's not there now is like one of the best times in history where you can make it happen if you kind of know how to. So exactly. I I'm very excited to hear your. Okay, great. Cool. <laughs> I, I, you know, my background, I try to bring everything forward. So I use a lot of yoga, you know, techniques, and I'm very, uh, very into helping people to really like raise their vibration and really kind of step into their higher selves so that when they're making choices and decisions about their career and their business and their work, that they're doing it from a place of, you know, empowerment. (laughs) So, yeah, so I have a great, uh, you know, I have things that I can offer for that. Great. Yeah. And as somebody who teaches cognitive psych, we teach a lot about how meditation, yoga, mindfulness, all of that stuff. I mean, it increases everything. I think the research shows, but for us, it just increases even cognitive ability. So being able to retain information and work and time management and all that good stuff. Yeah. And also to see yourself, you know, if you're working with students that are that are trying to figure out like what they want to do or what direction they want to go. And I think having the ability to kind of visualize what you ultimately want is really important. You know, I mean, (laughs) it's important to be able to like have an idea of what you'd like instead of kind of approaching it from the, well, I'll just see what happens, you know? So it's actually something I talk about in advising almost every week is students are like, but how do I figure that out? How do I know what I'm interested in? And, you know, I think they come in with this mindset that it's, you just have to kind of pick a job or you pick a career and they don't think they can think about money or what they're passionate about or 
you know, I tell students just go onto your social media and see what you're gravitating towards even. Yeah. Like, and lifestyle, you know, I mean, yeah. but like the way you were saying you can create whatever you want now, I do think that there's so much, you know, there's so much more possibility if you're someone who doesn't want to work, you know, a, a, a nine to five job. I mean, there's, right. there's so much freedom available if you want to, you know, so knowing what kind of lifestyle you want to live is really important so that you can make choices that will help you get to where you want to, where you would like to be. Yeah. And knowing if you want a boss or not. So if exactly. you want to be a boss or, you know, someone like me, I actually really enjoy having somebody else be in charge and me kind of just fitting the bill of whatever they need. And then I have, you know, people like my husband who hates that and cannot, does not like working for other people. Um, yeah. Great. Um, so we usually just start with the very beginning. Did you have any ideas of what you wanted to do when you were a child? Well, I did actually, because I, you know, started taking dancing lessons at when I was eight, just like so many little girls, you know, it was my after school activity. And um, I was actually just really, really good at dancing, which, you know, was not something that that wasn't the reason I went to the classes. I we went just because it was the after school activity. And so when I was little, I was performing, I was on stage in the dance recitals. And at the time that I was that age, the Broadway show Annie had just opened, oh. which was kind of like a monumental, life-changing, <laughs> you know, event for for so many, not only little girls, but boys and girls, I think. I'm, I've come to know over the years of being uh, in show business after that, that so many young people were influenced by Annie opening. It was kind of, it swept, you know, the the world. And so just like so many other little girls, I just decided I wanted to be an Annie. You know, I used to listen to the album and sing along. And um, I I was the driving force. You know, my parents were sort of like, they, they really were not stage parents. They really had no idea what, <laughs> you know, what it took to be in a Broadway show. But I kept saying, well, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. And my, my dancing teacher told me that there was a sleepaway summer camp that was for performing arts. And so oh, wow. I told my parents that I wanted to go to that. And I went to that camp and I got a lot of attention there. I was very little and uh, had a big voice and I got a lot of attention. And that fall, I ended up, again, convincing my parents to take me in to meet with this children's talent manager. And, you know, we, I, we walked in and they said, oh, do you want to be in commercials? And I said, no, I just want to be an Annie. <laughs> and they were like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, well okay, that that's way. great. You know, <laughs> um, and, you know, a few months in, there was an audition that, that uh, was, you know, a big audition for the, for the first national tour of Annie. And so they called my parents and they said, well, you know, you can bring her on this audition. And um, my parents said, well, we don't have any intention of going on a national tour. You know, I mean, I had a little brother and we lived in, in on Long Island and they said, oh, don't worry about it. It'll just be for the experience because what are the chances that she would get, you know, the first thing she ever auditioned for basically. Right. And so my parents took me in and I made it all the way to like the last cut. There were hundreds of wow. girls there. And um, then they sent us all home and we didn't hear anything. And three months later, they called my manager and said that there was a an, an opening on Broadway and they wanted to see me for that. And I went in and I got it. And so oh, wow. I was, yeah, so I was cast in Annie when I was 10. And that was in 1970, 1979. Oh. Um, and I what was on the show for story. two years. <laughs> yeah. What a way to make your dream happen. I like yeah, that. So I did actually know what I wanted to do when I was little. And, and you know, for most of my early life and my teenage years and in my early 20s, I never even considered that I would do anything else. I mean, that was really just my trajectory. I went to NYU for theater. And, you know, in my mind, it was that was just what what I was going to do. So, um, yeah, very early focus. <laughs> right. And what was it like um, achieving that dream and being an Annie? You know, it was it was really wonderful. I, I, I feel like we had a very, very special experience. The show, um, obviously, 
you know, it was kind of like, if you think about what, if anybody is in, into theater, if you think about what Hamilton is like now, that's what Annie right. was like, you know, it was yeah. like the hardest ticket and all the celebrities came to the show and we were treated really well. And this was well be before there were any child labor laws. I mean, this was, Annie was one of the first shows that had uh, a, a significant amount of you know, little kids in the show. So there were eight of us and, you know, there was Annie, the orphans, and then an understudy. And um, we did all seven, uh, eight shows a week. I mean, we, we, there was no double casting. There was no different treatment for the little kids. So, you know, we were, I worked full time for, for two years. Um, It was really exciting. By the time I left though, truth be told, I was, you know, I was tired and I also was, uh, about to turn 13. And, you know, a lot of my friends were having bar and bat mitzvahs that I couldn't go to because I had, you know, shows. And I started to say to my parents, I think I'm, you know, I think I want to be a kid, you know? And so, you know, I left and I kind of, you know, did that and did local stuff. And then when I was in my, you know, around 15, 16, I started going into, because I, I was very fortunate, you know, I lived close to Manhattan, yeah, where obviously there, there, there was a big plus there. So I was able to come in and out of the city and continue to take dance class. And, you know, I, I really got to, you know, be a part of, of the New York city theater scene. Um, and then I went to NYU. So, you know, I took a little bit of a break from pursuing like, you know, a lot of professional stuff just for a couple of years. And then once I was more independent, I really started, you know, coming into the city and, and, and doing it on my own again. And when you made the decision to leave Annie, was that your decision? Was it kind of your time had expired? Did you yeah, I mean, own? you know, I was getting a little tall. <laughs> there was uh, yeah. definitely, there was definitely a, you know, a height. They didn't want, they didn't want orphans that started to look like they were teenagers. Right. Um, but you know, it was my own decision. Um, I, uh, I was a, I was a, a, a valued orphan member because I had the ability to. Uh, know all of the parts. I, when yeah. I first was cast in the show, I was the understudy for all of the orphans before I became a permanent role. And, you know, it's not easy to know multiple, multiple roles, multiple different, you know, choreography and tracks and, 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 and staging. And so uh, I was definitely a very valued <laughs> commodity because I was able to uh, they call it swing. I was able right. to swing into different parts if I needed to. So, you know, they they weren't pushing me out of the show, but it was a mutual understanding that it was time. I was definitely getting more um, sick, like, you know, get more susceptible to getting colds. And, you know, I was run yeah. down. I mean, it's a big schedule I've, for a 12-year-old. <laughs> well, I've heard that from adults that are on Broadway, that they get more sick, that they are tired. So I couldn't imagine yeah, I mean, you really have to take care of yourself as an, you know, you're an instrument when you're an actor, a performer. Um, and, you know, I was, I, obviously, we, I took care of, you know, my, my parents made sure I took care of myself. But no matter what, you're, you know, I mean, I went to sleep at, I went to bed at, you know, 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night every night. I mean, most yeah. 11 or 12 year olds are not staying up, you know, until midnight. And, you know, it's just a, it's a, definite, um, unusual schedule, the nightlife the you know, yeah. so, you know, I, I'm a night owl. I'm definitely, I've never been someone who, you know, goes to bed particularly early, or I don't really enjoy waking up very early, even though I, I do <laughs> wake up, you know, every day, but, um, mm-hmm. I've always marveled at people that, thrive on, you know, that pop out of bed at, you know, 530 in the morning. Um, and I've, I actually have wondered a lot in the last few years, um, you know, whether or not it's something that's really a part of who you are, or whether that was like my whole idea of being like a night owl, like it really started when I was, you know, when I was 10. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's actually research on kind of these circadian rhythms, at least in psychology, and they definitely seem to be innate into, in, at some level um, that different people fall into the different categories. And the biggest thing that they're finding now is just 
productivity is higher when you lean into whichever mode you are. So if you're a morning person, if you can make that work for you, if you're a night person, if you can make that work for you, it's better. Um, and I think that might be one of the like side effects of COVID that might be actually beneficial is if we're restructuring the workplace, it'd be beneficial for us to think about people's kind of circadian rhythms and lean into when they are most productive to get better results and make people happier. I completely agree with that. And, you know, I have really tried to, um, you know, I've been a yoga teacher and a wellness professional. And, you know, I mean, there, there have been many reasons for me to explore waking up really early, you know, that when yeah. I first started teaching yoga, which we haven't even talked about yet, when I first started teaching yoga, you know, one of the things that uh, when you first start, you kind of are excited to get offered any class that that they'll give you, right? Like you're, you're looking for classes, you want to build your schedule. And so of course, the the classes that you get offered when you're brand new are like the, the ones at six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, for the for the like, really, really, you know, hardcore gym people that want to go do their workout before work. And, you know, so for like a year and a half or two years, I taught these 6.15 in the morning classes at, at a gym in New York City. And I mean, it was excruciating for me. And, you know, and I tried to really embrace, you know, that like I really, really tried and look, I did it and I was never late and I never didn't show up, but it never became it never became easy or comfortable or, you know, it never really, I never got into feeling like, wow, this is great. It was always against the natural order for me. So, you know, I do, I really agree with what you're saying, I think. And I also, you know, I also think that we do all get to figure out, you know, what, like for me, for example, when you were saying that I was thinking, yeah, it's so interesting. Like I need to start my work day later because I really don't feel like energetically ready to do certain things until between eight and nine. And so that's when I like to do my exercise. So if I like do my exercise, my yoga, and I do my kind of high vibration routine and whatever, I'm really ready for like other people Mm -hmm. more like around 11, you know, and I kind of need my morning. Whereas if I make commitments at nine in the morning, I regret it because I I lose my time because I'm not going to get up at six in the morning to do, you know, my exercise or my, my yoga or whatever. Well, and it's one thing we stress in education, just trying to help students study better is we tell them to look at yourself and figure out what times work best for you. Like you mentioned, we do this in exercise. I know I have to exercise first thing in the morning and I happen to be a morning person. So this is like 5 a.m. If I don't do it at that time, the likelihood I'll do it later in the day is slim to none. But then, you know, the person that I follow who creates the exercises, she works out at like 2 p.m. is like her best time. Right. That sounds horrible to me. Um, But we all have these different rhythms and it's even shown for like high school students and elementary kid school students and middle school that we start school too early for them Mm -hmm. because this also changes during different life stages as well and a lot of teenagers happen to be more nocturnal and more night people Um, and so we force them to go to bed too early and we force them to wake up too early and there's a whole push to try to get school days to start later so that students are actually awake and more in tune and all of that. Well, when you before you said in tune, what I was thinking was how important it is to, I think, to teach you know young people to teach you know even as early as elementary school, but definitely teenagers and college age students that um, before you go out into your day and start kind of having to use your brain on, you know, maybe like much more kind of focused intellectual activity, or when you're in the workforce, like before you're engaging with other people, I really think that we always need to have time to kind of like get into our 
ourselves to, I think that your creativity, which uh, so many people, um, I think that so many people think that they're stuck, for example, or they think they're, they're, that their creativity is, is stuck when really all it is, is that we actually have to like kind of wake our creativity up. We have yeah. to, you know, breathe. We have to be in touch with our, you know, our life force. And we need time to do that every day. We don't just wake up in alignment, you know? <laughs> like, right. and so if you're waking up and you're in a rush to have to already be, you know, uh, obligated to using your brain a certain way or to other people or to, you know, be on the go and you skip that sort of connection to self time, you do feel like you're not creative. Mm -hmm. You do feel, you know, disconnected from, you know, from, from your, even just your intuition. And, um, you know, we all have, we all have a, a very high degree of intelligence that doesn't require any outside information. You know, right. like we, we all have an intuitive intelligence and you just have to be connected to it. But if you go out into the world and you try to do stuff <laughs> without being connected to that, you can really feel off. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a while. I know as a writer, we talk about flow states a lot, which doesn't just exist in writing. It exists in everything. And it takes so long to get into that flow state sometimes. And you have to kind of block out the time on your calendar and make sure that nobody can penetrate that precious time. Um, like I was just thinking right before we came on here, how I need what, like one whole day without a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> no students, no meetings, no faculty. Like you just need one whole day to just sit and get into that flow state and just catch up on everything else. And we need yeah. more of that. Well, you know, when you're a creative, you know, when what you do is like you said, writing or, you know, I, create so much content. You know, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a, you know, a coach. Uh, um, I, I create courses. I, I, you know, I do workshops. And in order to like write, even just write up the description of something, let alone create the content and create the, you know, what you're actually going to be offering, um, you know, you, you need uninterrupted time. And, 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 uh, I have found that if I leave myself blocks of time in between clients, for example, sometimes it's not it's not enough because it's shifting gears in, you know, exactly. it's, it's shifting your brain gear and it takes time to go from, you know, that outgoing other. brain, you know, into where you need to be to be connected to your creativity and to be in flow, like you said. So, yeah, yeah I agree. I, I've really, really tried to, I mean, you know, I've tried to create certain days in my week where I don't schedule clients mm -hmm. and stuff so that I call it behind the scenes, yeah. <laughs> behind the scenes days where I just know I need to have time to just work on stuff. Yeah, that's exactly what I started doing just this semester was creating some days where there aren't any kind of student meetings. Unfortunately, it's been a crazy semester, so they've kind of crept into those times. Yeah, I'm but, sure. But, um Okay, so that was a wonderful detour. I want to kind of back up where we were on your story. You mentioned that you went to NYU to study theater. How did you yeah. decide to do that? So, you know, for me, um, because I had already, you know, started my career in in show business. And, you know, it's funny, I, uh, you know, not that I thought, oh, if someone offers me a movie, I'm not going to take it. But I always saw myself as a theater person. You know, that was kind of my trajectory. I was a, you know, a singer, dancer. And so, um, you know, I, I really wanted to go to university. I was also an honor student and, you know, very, very always in like accelerated classes and stuff. And so I didn't want to go to a conservatory, I, you know, even though I really wanted to major in in the arts and theater, I didn't want to go to a school that didn't also have, um, you know, a, that wasn't reputable for their <laughs> academics. Mm -hmm. And so I, I picked NYU because it was in New York and I knew I wouldn't have to, you know, put my whole career on total hold. Um, and also, you know, it wasn't a conservatory. You know, I was, I, I could have looked at Juilliard or, you know, there were, schools outside of the city like Carnegie Mellon or, you know, there were other schools that had good theater programs, but I felt like NYU at that time had the reputation for being, 
you know, kind of strong in both areas. And so that was my, I, I only applied to NYU. <laughs> I, did, I applied early. I know now they call it something else. But when I was, when I was going to school in 1986, it was, uh, you know, we applied early. And if you got in early decision, that was, you know, where you went. And I only applied to NYU. So, um, yeah, so I went to NYU. And, you know, it, uh, I think a big part of my story is, you know, my career story is the fact that, you know, when I was a, a sophomore in college, my father actually passed away unexpectedly. And um, it took a few years for things to, for, for, for the financial situation to really unfold, but it mm -hmm. kind of was an immediate thing that my family's, you know, my, my, our, our income was greatly impacted immediately. And NYU is not an inexpensive school. And so, you know, I, I was in school, but it was starting to, I knew it was challenging. I knew that it was challenging for my mom to keep up with NYU. And then I, uh, I ended up getting cast in a show, a very, a really, really great opportunity at the public theater in New York, right before my senior year. And it really felt like, the right thing was to do this show and take a leave of absence. And so I, I, I did this show. I went on leave of absence and, um, and I, I took off the whole, my whole senior year basically. And I had the intention of going back. Um, and what's really interesting, you know, I'd love to share this with, with, with your audience is that year that I took off, I felt like when I was getting ready to go back, I felt like I had, so much more clarity about how to make the most of my my senior year. Um, I, I really, really got more excited about going back and I had this idea to kind of like make my own sort of design my own year type of a thing because I, I had this really amazing experience working at the public theater in New York, which is a really amazing institution, non-for-profit theater. And I, I came back, I, you know, I was ready to come back and like kind of had this idea that I wanted to go into, you know, understand more about producing. And then I got cast in a, in a Broadway show. And so I, I did another Broadway show and I, and by the time that was over, I, there was no way I could go back to NYU financially. There was no, my mom at that point had my, my father's business wasn't, she couldn't keep it. You know, it just, things didn't, didn't, <laughs> the trajectory was not great financially. And so um, I wasn't able to go back to school. And so my, you know, my professional acting career just kind of like kept going from there. And um, a, a little while later, when I went back and kind of asked NYU, like if they could figure out how I might be able to come back or use some life experience credits. I mean, here I was like a theater major with tons of credits now, you right. know, I was like, can you give me some credits? And it, they didn't make it easy. And then eventually I just moved on. So, um, so that's my story <laughs> of my college story. <laughs> I do love what you said about taking that year and then having clarity because I am a major proponent of gap years. I know that there's even companies out there now that support financially for students to take gap years and do something kind of productive with them and learn and, and from experience because I am a hundred percent of the belief that experience is just as valuable, if not more valuable, of a learning tool than I, just content in a course. I completely agree. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And, you know, not that I wouldn't have gone back and, you know, I've gotten a lot of other, you know, I'm a, I'm an, um, I'm a learner. So, mm -hmm. you know, meaning I, I always am doing things to, you know, to continue my, I've done so many courses and certifications and, you know, I feel like I have so many, um, I, I'm, I'm someone who believes in just consistently up-leveling my, you know, my knowledge and my skills. Um, and so it's not to say that I wouldn't have finished at, at NYU, but I definitely know that had I gone back that year, would have made a huge difference in terms of even just my appreciation of, you know, what was, how I could utilize the, the, the offerings, you know, I think that yeah. like, even, even the way I would have chosen my, the courses that I would have taken would, would have absolutely been completely different than had I just gone straight through. Right. Um, you know, what I would have, what I would have realized would have been more interesting to me and what I could have used, um, 
in terms of, you know, my converting that over into like, into work. I, I, I in, for so many reasons, I think I would have made different choices in that last year. Yeah. And I think that's something that's hard for a lot of students is I get asked all the time, well, what courses am I supposed to take? How am I supposed to build this? And we actually make students work backwards. So tell me what job you want. That's how you're going to pick your extracurricular experiences. That's how you're like, what does that job want of you? Build your, your life that way. But there's a lot of students that don't fully know what they want to do. I was definitely one of them. I switched paths a million times too. And it's hard to kind of build your experiences that way. And I think that's something that you're saying, kind of that gap year, taking a year to really focus on what matters to you could potentially help you figure out just those decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I definitely look, I, I know that I was an, I'm, I'm not the norm when it comes to, you know, having entered my freshman year of college with this, you know, <laughs> very, very, you know, focused, like I'm going to be a professional actress. You know, I, I don't think the majority of, you know, none of my friends that I grew yeah. up with went into their freshman year of college knowing exactly what they were going to do. And I think hardly any of them are, are, are doing what, you know, what they thought they were going to college for, to be honest with you. I mean, right. all of my friends have in some way, like kind of taken, and this is where I was going with what I was saying is I think that like one of the things that we need to to do and need to encourage, you know, our young people, college students to do is trust their interests. Like I, I think that like nurturing your passions, nurturing what you what you really love. I mean, I, I'm going to actually go out on a limb and say even like video games like it's kind of like yeah looking at why you love what you love or what you love about it can tell you so much about like where your strengths are or what your what are you really interested in you know around a certain topic like something that you've just always loved your whole you know your whole life like how does it become something that you get to include in the kind of work you ultimately do, you know, and like, you don't, I know so many people who love the arts and theater, but never felt like they were the people to be on stage. And yet there's so many other ways that you can explore, you know, being, you know, including that or having that be something that influences and, and is a part of why you're so good at what you do do, you know? And I think it's something that is, often overlooked and not encouraged. I absolutely love that because I think breaking it down to what do you love about that thing, right? So you mentioned like video games. One, there's a ton of careers in video games and different ways to make that a career. And then two, okay, well, maybe you don't want to be in the video game industry, but what about the video games? Is it the problem solving? Is it, you know, the um, maze type of like figuring out how to get to an answer that can be seen in a, a ton of different careers. Exactly. Or, you know, what you were saying about acting, I wanted to be an actress when I was younger and I didn't think that I could handle that world, like the rejection, the whole kind of all of it. And I wish I would have known that exact thing because I could have potentially went still into that world and still done a career within that world to stay next to it, but maybe not be that major actor, the A-list actor or whatever you kind of dream of when you're like five, um, you know, and I'm a testament to, I am not doing anything close to what I thought I was going to do when I entered college. Um, and I think that's very common. And so knowing that your path can change and that you're kind of in control of it is something that we definitely need to start talking more about. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, uh, you know, when people ask me what I do, I say I'm an evolution coach and they'll say, what is that? And the reason I, I call myself an evolution coach is because I, I think that there's too much emphasis or feeling, um, around the idea that if you change your plan, like if you, if you, you know, change the trajectory that somehow 
it means that you couldn't do the other thing well or that you failed at it. And, you know, and I'm a perfect example of someone who, you know, I was on Broadway and that's pretty successful. That's not in yeah. any way like a failed actor. But, you know, I got to a point in my you know, in my adult life, in my thirties, where, uh, you know, for, there were numerous factors. We had a, a, um, a strike in the screen actors guild, uh, mm-hmm. at one point. And I was one of the fortunate people who I, I happened to, to book a lot of commercials and voiceovers, um, when I wasn't in a theater job. And that was a really great way f- to make money when I wasn't like on stage, you know? And mm-hmm. when that was on strike uh, for a long time, we had a long strike and that went away. I had to start making money waiting tables, which I hadn't really had to do for, you know, that's the more stereotypical thing. And I hadn't really had to do it. And so uh, here I was, I find myself cater waitering and, you know, working a lot as a server. Um, because also I didn't want to go out of town as much. And, uh, you know, I had been working in a lot of regional theaters and I, you know, I, I knew that if I didn't stay, stick around New York, I wouldn't be able to be, be there when there was an audition for a Broadway show. You know, if you're always out of town, you miss the auditions for like the big stuff. So, you know, here I was, I'm in New York and I'm, you know, waiting tables. And this is something I, I talk about a lot too. I'm like, when you're, when you're a creative, resourceful person, you're, you're always good at whatever you do. Right. So even mm-hmm. if you're like waiting tables, all of a sudden you become the event manager, you know, <laughs> you keep getting more responsibility because everyone trusts you, you know, you're smart and you're good. And so here I was like, you know, running weddings. And, and I, and I was like, this is not, this isn't feeling good to me. And I had started practicing yoga and the, basically at the place I was a yoga student, they were about to start a yoga teacher training and they were like, you should do the teacher training. You'd be such a good teacher, you know, because to be a teacher, you have to be kind of a performer. Like you have to be charismatic and, you know, be able to kind of like hold the room. And, um, and I was like, maybe I should do that. That would be a great way for me to make money when I'm not acting. So when I first, you know, did my yoga teacher training, it wasn't because I was quitting acting. It was because I thought, oh, this will be a great, you know, better money job for me than waiting tables. It'll be more fulfilling. I'll enjoy it more. And so I did my teacher training. I started teaching yoga and, you know, I, I got a lot of classes right off the bat. I, I became popular pretty quickly. And all of a sudden, I was making money and paying off my student loans and starting to actually get out of debt and actually was able to like kind of get a lease on an apartment for the first time instead of living in sublets. And so all of these things were happening. And then before you know it, I'm teaching yoga full time. Yeah. You know, and then I had the opportunity to open a yoga studio. So, you know, as these, tra- you know, kind of transitions were happening, it wasn't like I was failing at anything, but I was kind of like evolving and taking my skills and what felt right in the moment and kind of, you know, doing the next thing that was presented to me. And I feel that that's a really important thing to look at in our lives that we kind of get to, we get to evolve. We get to sort of like ask ourselves, is where I am now still what feels like the best place for me? And when we, when we're not saying yes anymore, we have to be willing to be open to like seeing what opportunity is kind of is there in front of us you know, saying, Hey, now, now, now this is here. And, you know, I think it's really important to, to encourage ourselves and our, you know, our, our college. This is what I do. I help people to embrace knowing that it's okay to decide that you might've been really great and loved this one job or career or profession that you had for 10 years. And when something inside of you, the voice inside of you is telling you for whatever reason, it's no longer satisfying you. It's no longer fulfilling. It's no longer a positive environment. You you don't want to work for anybody anymore. You want more money. You want to be using different skills. You get to do that. And it doesn't mean that you've, you know, that that, that was like a blip or that that was, a you know, a, a failed time in your career or anything. Right. And I love it brings it back to the importance of figuring out those 
minute details of what you enjoy, what skills you're good at, because those translate, like you were saying, you know, even in waiting tables, you found how kind of acting and um, intelligence and creativity and all of that stuff that you kind of have valued made you better at that job. And it made you better at being a yoga instructor. And so it's really this core set of what you really, really want to do. And that can morph into different shapes and different forms. It doesn't have to be, you know, in mine. So I'm in psychology and a lot of students are like, I just want to help people. There's so many different ways to manifest that, that it, you know, you don't have to just take one trajectory. You can do a wide variety of things to accomplish that same passion. And use your skills, you know? So, I mean, it took me a little bit while, uh, a little bit of time to sort of, you know, you, you also accumulate data, I call it. You accumulate yeah. data on yourself, right? It's sort of like, <laughs> as you go along, you find out more information, you know? So data is something you can't, you know, you can't force it, but like the more you do things, the more you, you accumulate that information. And one of the things that really emerged for me when I really look back, it's not like I have these random, you know, careers of acting to uh, yoga, to business owner, to coach. Um, when you look at all of the things that I've done, there are some really key, um, there's some key things that are the thread between everything, which is I am a reverse engineering specialist and an organizational, like I'm a strategist. Like oh, I love organization. But you know, it's sort of like I or like when you think about like memorizing blocking or choreography or like or line, you know, yeah. understanding um when you're in a play or a show, there's an outcome, right? There's going to be an outcome. That's the, the end of the play and everything leads to that, you mm -hmm. know? And when you take a yoga class, hopefully <laughs> the teacher has put it together in such a way that, that what you're doing with your body is leading to something that makes sense. Otherwise that you're going to get hurt, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, so over, and, and even like when I was working in restaurants and everyone was like, Oh, BR, you know, run these events. It was because, because I'm a, I'm a reverse engineer. I'm like, oh, if we, you know, we need to be here at this time for this, you know, part of the party, if we're serving dinner at eight, it means that we have to have this first and this for, you know, and so I've learned that strategy and reverse engineering and kind of using my Virgo brain are, you know, that has been a through line for me. This is yeah. not like some, you know, I'm not a business strategist now for creatives because I was, you know, sitting and racking my brain, like, what should I do now that I'm 50? You know what I mean? Like, I, that was not what happened. It was like, this has been the natural progression of me consistently, you know, using what is natural to me and my gifts. And, you know, this is something that comes up a lot also with the people I work with, which is when you have natural talent, natural affinity, natural gifts, it's okay to use those things. Like you're not, you're not less, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I feel like sometimes I work with people and I have to say to them, it's okay that you didn't go to college for that. Right. It's okay. Like you're allowed to get paid for that because you're naturally gifted at it. It's okay that you don't have a degree in that. It's really fine. Like no one's going to call you out or tell you <laughs> you're an imposter if you can deliver. Like if you're good at what you do, you're good at what you do. Exactly. And I think that's a really interesting thing to help people to feel and see, you know, that you should be looking at what are your innate natural, like what are, what are you designed to do? And I think that's really good for our younger listeners too, because students, I think sometimes lack the ability to really praise themselves for these types of things. Like my students are amazing people who have these full lives and can do incredible things that I could never dream of doing. But they often still feel, I guess, not good enough or not ready or whatever they're kind of feeling because they're young and they're still in college. And, well, I can't possibly do this. And I'm like, you definitely could. Like, you're better at this than I am. You know, like I have a ton of students who are better writers than I am or who are better researchers than I am. And I, I wish that they would notice that, like, you you know, you don't need, you don't need to be told, like, when is your time? 
you get to make your time. And sometimes that time is before you think like it's yeah, before, or before like or, before it's sort of like the more, you know, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I also think, you know, I mean, we all come from different, um, you know, we all come from different environments, you know, and I've always said, I, I know how lucky I was that I grew up in a household where, you know, no one ever said to me, it, it, oh, that's crazy. You can't be an Annie. That's for like that's special, super talented Broadway kids. Only you know, 1% like, of people get into that. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so no one ever said that to me, you know, and I was very lucky. I mean, I grew up with parents that basically were like, you can do anything. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I kind of say uh, a lot that I help people do is I, I say, I help people say yes before they know how. And I, I think that that's something that is worth, like, kind of worth looking at. You know, this kind of, like you said, the I'll be ready when syndrome or, like, mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to, you know, say that I do that until X or, you know, look, I do think some things you shouldn't say you can do if you didn't, like, you know, like, you shouldn't. I've always said, like, look, I don't think you should teach yoga if you didn't do a yoga teacher training. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. But, like... Um, but, you know, I do think that there's, you know, there's something to be said for, um, you know, kind of taking, we have to step outside of our comfort zones. Yeah. We have to, we have to do things before we think we're ready. Um, you know, there was, there was this great um, kind of motivational teacher named Sean Stevenson who um, passed away last year. Um, and I got to see him speak a couple of times live and he was born with a congenital. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was born with a, with a, a very, very rare disease where your bones are so fragile that, you know, even coming out of the birth canal, he was, like half the bones in his body were broken. And so he, he, you know, was in a wheelchair, you know, in a very deformed physical body. And he became a very, very, very popular um, motivational speaker. He was really funny. And his whole mission was to help people with their confidence because he was this like outgoing, really, really confident, you know, person in, in this body that was just completely, you know, misshapen. And, um, and, and I got to see him live a few times and he, I, at a one time someone raised their hand and said, you know, what do you recommend for, you know, building confidence? And he said, you can't build your confidence. Confidence is a byproduct of doing the things that scare you. He was like, so the only way you can build your confidence is to step outside your comfort zone and to take the risks and do the things that like you don't actually feel like you're going to be good at necessarily or the, yeah. the things that scare you. And that was, it was a, a, such an amazing, clear way for, you know, of describing what we do have to do in order to, you know, kind of build our confidence levels and to, to get to, to see ourselves uh, you know, doing the things that we really want to do, you know, we have to be able to, we have to be supported to do those things. Um, even if we've, you know, we're not sure what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. And it takes great support. And knowing that this imposter syndrome doesn't go away and it's at the highest level. So I always thought, well, once I get, you know, my PhD and they call me doctor, certainly I'll be confident. And now like you just have new excuses. Oh, well, these other people that have been doing this for a long time, or they've written a book on this. There's no way I can know what I'm doing. Oh, this person's so much smarter than me. It still happens. And I think that's been my greatest asset is knowing that it happens at every stage. And even to those people that I'm admiring and therefore we kind of just have to tuck it under the rug and keep going regardless of it. Well, I think when, when what you do is, um, you know, when you're a teacher or you're a, a, a guy, you know, a counselor, you're a, a guide, you're someone who, um, uh, you know, you're kind of like out there helping other people. I think a, a really important thing to, that I have always, you know, tried to tell myself and I tell this to the you know, hundreds of yoga teachers actually that I've trained and now I mentor so many coaches is information, you know, yeah, it's important that we have scholars that can, you know, give us information, 
But for a lot of us, our job is not necessarily to have more information. Our job is to basically share that information through our unique lens and through our unique experience so that the people that are going to resonate with us and and learn from us are the one are going to hear it you know and mm-hmm. and not everybody is for everyone and and this is a really important thing about sort of owning your your authenticity and kind of seeing that a really big part of being successful in any career is that what you are doing is you're you are filtering that that information or that guidance through your unique perspective and and really uh, trusting that that's valuable and that that's, you know, worth <laughs> putting out into the world is really important, you know? So information only takes you so far. It's really yeah. um, your willingness to kind of trust that someone needs to hear what you're sharing in the way only you can share it. That's great. So let's back up one more time just a little bit to you started to become a yoga teacher. How did you get from there to now coaching or being an evolution coach? Yeah. So um, so when I was teaching about 10 years into being a teacher, I uh, had the opportunity, uh, a student, this was actually, well, it was a little less than 10 years, maybe seven, eight years into teaching. Um, one of my regular students was... Um, during the financial crisis, actually, you know, in 2008, he had lost his job and he was a finance guy. And um, he decided to kind of, you know, do this <laughs> new thing and 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 uh, invest in opening a yoga studio. And so I had this opportunity to open a studio and I did that. And about seven, eight years into that, it was just... Uh, you know, owning a small business with three people as the owners, partners, um, it was very difficult to kind of see a path forward as, of, of, of really making any, any significant, like making a living was hard. You know, it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was difficult. And, um, and so I wasn't feeling super fulfilled to be honest with you. And I, I had never made the decision to sort of like, you know, never want to sing again or never want to do anything, you know, related to arts or whatever. And so I just started thinking what, what might be next for me? What, 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 how could I continue evolving? Like, not that I want to throw out all of my 20, at that point, 20 years of yoga, you know, scholar, like being a scholar and a philosophy, you know, yoga is a philosophy and a brain science. And, you know, that's, as much as the asana, as, as the poses, I, that's where I, what I had been studying and spirituality. I was like, what can I do to take all of that? Plus my sort of leadership. I've always been sort of like a thought leader and, um, use my, you know, my, my voice. And, um, and I just, someone else invited me to do a coaching thing that she was doing for free. She offered for me to be in her group thing. And two weeks in, I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be coaching people. And so I, you know, I, I invested in my coaching certification and I exited my partnership from the yoga studio. And, you know, I, went on a full solo entrepreneurial journey at that time. And I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to create a business. And, um, you know, I, I became a health coach first and then a life coach. And then I did a, an advanced level of coaching and, uh, training and just organically, I started attracting, of course, <laughs> the people coming to me were, the perfectly aligned soul aligned clients that were creative, soulful, passionate people that, you know, that either were yoga teachers or, or passionate yogis that really believed in kind of using the, the practices of, of yoga and meditation, um, you know, to better their lives and attracting people who were trying to change businesses and change careers and, a lot of people that wanted me to help them, you know, figure out their message and their, uh, how to, how to have a business, which was not what I thought originally. Um, and over time it all just kind of like 
all the pieces came together of how I help other people because I really am now using, you know, I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of Facebook lives and a lot of classes and workshops on, you know, I was using the, you know, zoom and the internet for things before, before the pandemic. You know? yeah. So, um, but you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm really using all of my kind of skills, you know, at once I'm using my yoga, I'm using my, my psychology and brain science, you know, I'm using cosmology, I'm using connection to the universe, I'm helping people, tune into themselves and strategize how they want to be in service. Um, you know, I help wellness professionals and creatives and other coaches and, you know, people that, um, that really want to, you know, to have impact and need some help sort of figuring out their message and how to create, how to package what they do. You know, um, when you're an artist and a creative, um, I think that there's a lot of starving artist mindset that can set in and a lot of kind of knowing that you're really great at doing what you do, but you don't really know how to get clients, for example. Um, And so I help people, you know, do that. And it's all been a very interesting organic um, evolution, you know, for me to get where I am. But this, this last transition from yoga studio owner to coach really came out of what I try to tell other people they should do. When you start feeling like things don't feel the way you want it to feel, you know, I was like, wow, I'm going to be at that time. This was two years ago. I was like, I'm going to be turning 50. You know, um, I just, I want freedom. I wasn't feeling free. I was feeling like, because I had two business partners, I kind of felt like, like I couldn't really do my own, I couldn't do certain things because they would be like, why aren't you focusing on the business? You know what I mean? Like I couldn't like, I couldn't go work on a, on a, on some singing, you know, (laughs) like do something creative. Um, And just my, everything in my gut was telling me it's time, it's time to, you know, to explore the next thing. And I want people to do that. I want, I don't, it pains me when people are unhappy doing what they, what they're doing, what they do, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I really do. I understand like sometimes people have, you know, certain obligations, you have kids, you've, I know that it's not always possible to just like change yeah. your career, but I do think it's really important when we start getting that feeling that, that we need to figure something out that we listen to it, you know, and that we, and that we do take the time to explore. I wonder, I wonder what I might be able to do next, you know? Yeah. That's great. And then just because we're coming up on time and I want to be mindful of your time. The last question I usually ask is if you could give, if you could kind of boil all of this down to one piece of advice for people either starting out or wanting to change or knowing that it's their time to move on, what is kind of your single piece of advice that you would give the most? Well, you know what I, well, I've kind of just said it. I mean, I do think, I, I, I really do think that um, it's really important to see change, whether it's change that is kind of bubbling up inside of you uh, because, you know, because something's telling you to make change or if it's change that's kind of been, that's happened, you know, like you lose a job or, you know, like something happens we must see change as opportunity to evolve because I really do believe that that's what we're designed to do. We're designed to, to evolve. And so seeing change as opportunity is really important. So my, my, and my other biggest piece of advice, I kind of said it before too, is say yes, say yes. There have been a lot of times when something was presented to me, like, do this yoga teacher training, open this studio, um, other things too, you know, where in that moment, there was no part of me that knew how I was going to do that. I didn't know how to own a yoga studio. I didn't know how to start a coaching business and make six figures in, in, in one year. I didn't know how, but I believe that when opportunity is, is in front of us, we have to say yes. And we will always be able to figure out how. That's amazing. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And where can people find you? So I know we'll post the links on social media, but do you want to tell people where they can find you right now? Yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I, as I told you, I, um, I always love to give a a special gift to, uh, to an audience that took the time to listen to our conversation. So, um, and we'll post this, but on my website, which is www.stacybrassrussell. You'll see it in print, but S-T-A-C-E-Y-B-R-A-S-S-R-U-S-S-E-L-L.com forward slash. And there'll just be a link for a career journey for this podcast. And uh, when your listeners go there, when the lovely people here go there, um, I've got two awesome gifts for you. One is a meditation which is what I call the, the a morning expansion meditation. So we talked a lot about um, kind of how to get into your your zone, <laughs> how important yeah. it is. So there's a, a recorded meditation that all my clients use to kind of wake up and get into the zone. And then also a, um, I call it a soulful strategy map. So a lot of times I think that when we have big goals or, um, you know, things that we're working toward, it can be overwhelming, you know, to just kind of like know what you want, but not really know what you should do today (laughs) to get there. (laughs) So this is what I call strategy map. I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of like a reverse engineering, (laughs) you know, not, I, I really, really think it's important to have a way to strategize how we use our time and our energy. And so that's there too. It's a really great just sort of uh, way to kind of look at what what you want to, you know, do for the day and make some choices about what you what you'd like to, you know, what you'd like to set your intention on. So those two things will be there. And, um, and I think everyone will get a lot out of those things, actually. Yeah, I can't wait to use them myself. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Well, thanks for being on the podcast. It was great having you. It was really great meeting you, Brittany. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Career Journey Podcast. Head over to our website at careerjourneypodcast.com for more information and the latest episodes. See you next time.